Tonight's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Um, you can find it on page 885 of the Bibles in front of you um, or on the screen. So Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Friends, we are looking at a topical sermon tonight, and we'll come back to that passage at the end. But uh, let me pray that God will speak to us. Uh, we're thinking about prayer and the role of prayer, and most important, that we ask God to speak to us tonight. Lord God, we, we thank you that you are a God who listens, a God who cares, a God who is sovereign and in control, a God who is creator, a God who knows all things, a God who is loving and gracious and compassionate, a God who brings us forgiveness through the death of Christ in our place on the cross. We thank you for your son's resurrection and the guarantee of forgiveness and life eternal. We ask God as we consider the importance of speaking to you, touching heaven and therefore changing earth, that we would be given a new passion, a new direction, a, a new desire to build intimacy with you through prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a, a leading Christian preacher in the 1800s. We're going back a few years. It looks like he's from the 1800s, doesn't he? And uh, he said this about prayer. He said, The condition of the church may be very accurately gouged by its prayer meetings. The prayer meeting is a graysometer, and from it we may judge the, um, of the amount of divine working among a people. How do you measure whether God is at work? If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness. He just said slothfulness. I added laziness so you would understand it. A laziness in prayer. Now, these days, we don't run major big prayer meetings like they did in that period of time. They went to church and they had big prayer meetings and they measured their success by how many people were at the prayer meeting. But the same principle holds, doesn't it? How much do you pray? How passionate are you about prayer? How much prayer takes place before your youth ministry team plans its activities? How much prayer takes place in your home Bible study group each week? How much prayer happens in your family time together? The amount of prayer impacts what happens. I want to suggest to you that many churches just grow because of good business skills. In one sense, we could build hundreds of people, I said over 600 people here on a Sunday, without God being involved at all. There are people who do that all over the place. 
They just have good management skills, good interaction, good welcomers, great kids' programs. And people think, well, I want to be part of that as much as I want to go to Westfield to buy my new dress or my new pair of shorts or my new sports shoes. There's temptation to think, well, we built this great thing. Surely God is here. Not so. Not right. The evidence is in the transforming work of God in the lives of his people. Do they love God? Do they serve God? Do they love spending time in prayer with God? Where is the evidence that God is present? Jim Simbala was the pastor of a very small church in Brooklyn, New York. It's now known as the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and for many years it's had thousands of people gather there and many conversions. But it was a small church. The pastor was sent there. Uh, there were drug addicts. There were gangs everywhere. And he had to think again, what am I doing in Brooklyn? How do I dare take my children into a crazy place like this? He said, I was so tired. I had no reserves left. I had an enforced holiday due to ill health. But I sensed God speaking to me about the church. This is what God said to him. If you and your wife will lead my people to pray and call upon my name, you'll never lack for something fresh to preach. I'll supply all the money that's needed, both for your church and your family, and you'll never have a building large enough to contain the crowds I will send in response. He said his word to me was grounded in countless promises repeated in the scriptures. It was the very thing that produced every revival of the Holy Spirit throughout history. It was what I already knew, but God was drawing me out, pulling me toward an actual experience of himself and his power. He was telling me that my hunger for him and his transforming power would be satisfied as I led my tiny congregation to call out to him in prayer. And in that instance, it doesn't always work like this, God has done a marvelous work. Prostitutes, drug addicts, changed by the gospel, gang members, transformed by Jesus. He wrote this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If you want to get encouraged in your prayer life sometime, buy that and read that. He tells the story of how they went from a tiny church and gathered to pray, believing that God could make a difference. Well, let's take Billy Graham, for example, the, the late Billy Graham, well-renowned evangelist, travelled around the world and people would say, well, what a great preacher you are. God has saved so many people through your preaching. And so the answer is not my crusades and my preaching. So it's what happens behind the scenes. Because before a crusade happened, and I went to one in 1979, and some of those guys weren't alive over there, right? And he preached the gospel, but before that, you know what happened? Churches would gather, churches would pray, churches would plan, churches would pray for their non-Christian friends, their mothers, their fathers, and then they would invite them to hear Billy Graham preach. And Billy Graham would say... The effectiveness of the mission is not my preaching, it's the work of God's people in praying and loving and serving those around them. Uh, on holidays a few years ago, I was uh, visiting a church in Marigville on a Sunday morning. Having been in that church, I had a walk in the city. On my uh, holidays, by the way, I try to get the church services in the morning and in the evening. Some people think I'm nuts, some people think I'm ultra-spiritual. But I'll try to go to both so I can learn from God's word and see how other people are serving Christ. But I was tired in the afternoon, I was restless, and I was talking to God in prayer. I said, God, I don't know, where should I go tonight? Should I go to church? And God said, just go home. You're so tired, you're so lazy and slothful in one sense, just go home. So I went home. 
Then I went to start my car up at home. It's an, it was an Astra. It wouldn't start. So I called up the NRMA. Of course I did. And then a guy turned up, a Greek NRMA road service guy. I told him I was Greek. You One Greek to another, you talk about everything. Then he said, what do you do for work? I said, I'm the pastor of the Baptist church down the street. And then he started his questions about Jesus and God and the world and eternity. For 30 minutes, he'd already got my car started, but he didn't take up the next job. For 30 minutes, he's asked me questions. And he apologized. He said, I'm sorry to ask so many questions. But since you're a priest and knowledgeable about, about these things, I thought I'd ask you. And then I realized that when you pray and you wrestle with God in prayer, God gives you opportunities wherever it be is at a church and with an NRMA guy at the shopping center. As you wrestle with God and call out to God, God, I want to be used by you. God, what should I do? God opens up doors for the ministry. Friends, we will not change this earth until we touch heaven. Profound changes will come when we're calling upon God to act because you cannot save anyone. I cannot save anyone, but God can. And God can make a difference. And friends, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. The first point. And we're going to cover a lot of this over the next uh, eight weeks or so in our Go series. But let me give you a taste tonight. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That's our launch series theme this year. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He tells them to go, make disciples. But friends, you cannot go without prayer. Why can't you go without prayer? Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, listen to this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual battle happening. If you simply want to go in your own strength, your own power, I'm pretty smart, I know how to answer good questions. Look how clever I am. Look at my IQ, whatever it happens to be. Look at my personality. If you think you're going to change lives that way, think again. He goes on to say, take the helmet of salvation, and then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As you go, take the sword of the Spirit, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. It says, as you go, take the word, pray. When you go to take Jesus to people, pray. Don't just take the word, pray as you take that word. Because the problem with non-Christians, when they're outside of Christ, is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And many times I've shared the gospel with people like, oh yeah, whatever, that's good for you, works for you. And sometimes their eyes glaze over, they ask you a question, you start to answer it and then they turn off. Ever had that experience? Friends at school said, no one cares. University, we don't care. But then God does something. It is God who opens up people's hearts to respond to the message. We see this in Acts chapter 16. On a Sabbath day, we, Paul and his friends, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. There was no synagogue in town. 
so that they would gather by the river to pray. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, which means she was extremely wealthy, a businesswoman, from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. She knew about Israel's God. She knew about the Old Testament, but she didn't know Jesus. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Listen to that. Touching heaven, changing earth. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Last Wednesday, I had the privilege of doing a funeral from a woman who used to come to our church, Gabriel McKellar. Now, Gabriel was uh, 84 when she passed away. She started attending this church about 25 years ago. The reason why she started coming to this church is that her daughter, Caroline, started coming to this church. Gabriel was from a strong, strict Catholic background. And if you know, you may not know, but in the old days, Catholics and Protestants didn't mix that much. They kept arguing all the time. And a bit like the Greek Orthodox family where I come from, Protestant Baptists were like strange people. And uh, her daughter, though, was sent as an exchange student at 18 or 19, whatever it was, to America. But a Catholic girl from Picnic Point landed in a Protestant church in America, heard the gospel of God's grace, salvation by faith, not through works, got saved and came home. And Caroline started coming here and got married to Kirk here. So Gabriel decided to visit our church to check us out. Right? What do these people teach at this church? Are they a cult? Or what type of things are they? Because only the Catholic church is the truth, right? She would sit up the back listening into the sermons, week after week, month after month. And slowly God was opening up her heart and beginning, you know, she didn't give much away. In fact, she didn't even tell her daughter when she started doing Bible studies with other people. Doing it quietly. And I remember after a while she started to get it. That God's grace in Jesus means we can be saved by his free gift, not our good works, not our religious obedience. And I'd stand at the door and shake her hand on Sunday mornings. She'd come through with a smile on her face. It's grace, isn't it? The difference. What's the difference? It is grace. It's amazing grace. Our salvation is based on the work of Jesus, not our work, not our achievements. A couple of weeks later, I'd see her again. It's grace, isn't it? Yes, it is, I say. It's amazing grace. And slowly she got saved. And you see, she knew there was something missing in her life. What was happening at that point? As Caroline was praying, as I was praying, as many other people in this church were praying, God opened her up her heart to receive that gospel. And just over here, we have a baptistry. It was in August 1999. I baptized her. She was so keen to be baptized, she had back problems all her life. And I'm going to let him in on a secret, Caroline. Because to get her under the water, I couldn't bring her back up. <laughs> so she was so keen on getting baptized, she organized a little stool. So when I pushed her down, she didn't go right down. She lay on the stool beautifully, immersed back out. Died to her old way of life, resurrected in Jesus to new life. She died trusting in the finished work of Jesus, confident. Because God showed his grace to her. Because people were praying, touching heaven, changing earth. And we must call on God to extend his kingdom in the world this year, friends. 
Keep calling upon God. This is then how you should pray, said Jesus. Our Father in heaven, he's in heaven, that means he's in control, he's in charge of everything. Hallowed be your name, may your name be glorified, honoured, worshipped. Your kingdom come, your righteous rule. Come and rule in the lives of men and women. Come and be king in their lives. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be praying that more and more people would see Jesus King and submit to him. And we must also call on God that the gospel will run in triumph. This verse was impressed upon me like in 2005 we did the 40 days of purpose. Some of you will remember that. A book by Rick Warren, our preaching series. It says, finally brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. So this year, I want you to pray that the gospel spreads rapidly through our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, our, through our missionary workers, through our craft groups, our SRE classes. Pray that it spreads rapidly, but more than spreading, that it is honoured, that people see what a beautiful message it is. God loves us. Christ died for us. There is eternal life, reconciliation. Pray that it is, spreads rapidly and people embrace it and worship our God. One of the ways in which you can translate these verses is, and I've used, the gospel will run and triumph. The image here in the Bible is this. Imagine a, a running track. Imagine the first century and the athletes are there, they're running around the track. They're running and they're triumphing. What happens when they're triumphing? The crowd stands, the crowd applauds, go, 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 you're a champion. I still remember Kathy Freeman at the 2000 Olympics. Again, I'm going to look over here because you guys weren't even born. You may have seen it on television, right? In her full body suit, running to the finish line. She's running. And she triumphs. And the crowd stands and applauds and cheers. That's what we've been waiting for. That race, that moment, that glory. You know what Paul says? Will you pray? that the gospel will run so beautifully in how we speak it, how we live it, that people will see it and think, wow, what a beautiful, glorious gospel it is. I want that for myself. And repent and believe. And let us call on God to save unbelievers. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. As Paul preaches the gospel on his missionary journeys, some Jews get converted, many Gentiles get converted. But he says, my heart is that my own people, the ones through whom the Messiah Jesus had come, my own people would see that he is the Messiah. I wonder who your people are. Who are the people you're passionate about? Your family, your youth group kids, your neighbours, your school friends. God, I'm just, I just, my heart's desire, God, is my, my mates in year 10 will come to know Jesus. Stop mucking around with drugs. Stop mucking around with something else, alcohol. Stop sleeping around. God, that that would come to meet Jesus and find that he brings ultimate satisfaction, that I need to do that any longer. Who are your people? Maybe a subculture, maybe Greek people or Egyptian people, Indonesians or Chinese, depending on your background. As someone from a Greek background who's converted in Australia, we'd be praying that more Greek people come to know Jesus. They see his glory. 
And John Piper writes in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, it's a book on mission, he said, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. We are on this earth to press back, he says, the forces of darkness, and we're given access to headquarters by prayer to advance this cause. We're on a mission. And then he says, we simply must seek for ourselves and for our people a wartime mentality. Otherwise, the biblical teaching about the urgency of prayer, the vigilance of prayer, the watching in prayer, the perseverance in prayer, and the danger of abandoning prayer will make no sense and find no resonance in our hearts. Until we feel the desperation of a bombing raid or the thrill of a new strategic offensive for the gospel, we will not pray in the spirit of Jesus. Take the word praying but then also be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, when Jesus uh, was about to go back to heaven, he said to his disciples, go and hang out in Jerusalem, wait. I'm going to send you some power. Don't go on the mission yet, just wait. Then he says in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city, in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. They could not do it in their own strength. So the disciples then, uh, what did they do after the ascension? They returned to Jerusalem, began an extended prayer meeting. They're gathering, they're praying. It says they all joined constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They gather, they eat, they worship, they pray. And the Spirit came upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches a gospel message, you know that. And the people were cut to the heart. They realized they killed the Messiah. What do we do now, they say. Their lives are now going to be changed. Catherine Booth was the mother of the Salvation Army. And she was preaching once at the city temple in London. And she said this, The greatest want in this day is truth that cuts. Convincing truth. Truth that convicts and convinces the sinner and pulls off the bandages from his eyes or her eyes. The bandage that the enemy has put on their given us darkness, they cut to the heart and they're removed and they see the truth of the gospel. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 men repented and came to faith in Jesus Christ. What did they do since they repented? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They cared for one another, the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. So will you pray for spirit-filled preaching in 2024 where people are cut to the heart and transformed by the spirit of the living God? When you start driving to church on a Sunday night, if you come to Sunday nights, and say, Lord Jesus, pray for Matt, pray for Ange, they need your help, Jesus. <laughs> They're going to try and con- to, to speak the word of truth, and, and we want to be cut to the heart, we want new people to be cut to the heart, we want non-Christians to come in and, and meet Jesus, will you pray, help them, Jesus, right? If you want prayer for me, pray it, help him, Jesus, right? <laughs> on the way in, if you can't remember anything else, Lord Jesus, speak through him today. Empower him. Jesus. Empower Matt, David, whoever. Empower the singers as they lead. Empower uh, whoever speaks. The people will be cut to the heart. Will you pray for the Spirit-filled home group leaders as they lead their groups in the study of the Word? Will you pray that God would open up the hearts of men and women to respond to the Gospel? When will you do it? Friends, let me say you need to do it in your personal prayer. When no one's around, praying quietly. You and your Bible, 
sitting in the car, having a coffee, in your bedroom, down by a park, wherever it happens to be, find that place. Call out to God. In your home Bible study groups, there must be time, good time for prayer. In accountability groups, gather with two or three others. In ministry teams and committees, before you plan, call out to God. He might just give you those two ideas that will change everything. In church services, before the church services, on your way to church, after the church services. See, when we finish our night like night, tonight and we're, we're talking, we're going to start talking about the football or the cricket or something else. Somewhere, allow the Spirit of God to do His work and talk about the things that matter ultimately. About the home groups you're going to join. Or how you're going to help each other in youth ministry, whatever it happens to be. In our prayer gatherings. And finally, we need to face the heat through prayer. We're calling upon God to, to work, but this passage in Acts chapter 4 that was read earlier, the disciples were under pressure. They were told not to preach the gospel. They tried to silence the apostles. You know, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested in prison overnight. They've seen a man healed, and the uh, religious authorities don't like it at all. And then they gather him and they try to shut him up. They try and say, you guys stop talking about Jesus. You're causing trouble. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So you can't stop us. You can threaten us, but you cannot stop us. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide on how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They let him go. Where did they go? They go to McDonald's? They go to a coffee shop? Go have a meal? No, they went to the prayer meeting. That's where they went. That's where the other disciples were. They're in prison. The other guys are gathering like we would be gathering here, praying, calling out to God. Loud prayers, soft prayers, passionate prayers. God, please protect your people. God, speak your word through them. They were praying. And as they gathered, they told them what had happened. They said, wow, amazing. And on their release, Peter and John went back to the people. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They're still praying. Sovereign Lord. In other words, God's in control. God, you know, you've got this. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God, you've got this. You are the creator. You're in charge of everything. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They're quoting the Old Testament. They know the Old Testament. They know the word. So when they're praying, they're quoting the word. And then they remind us that even with Jesus in his arrest and death, even as evil people killed him, God was still at work. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, those God, we are trusting ourselves to you. We know that you're in control. We know that you're moving the pieces to bring salvation to the world. God, we're with you. We trust you. Now, what do they say? Now, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's what they want. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. What's wrong with these people, right? For boldness. God, this message is so significant, we need to get it out. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You're praying that this year? God, help me not to be silenced. Some of you are going to start university this year. Get involved with the Christian groups on campus. Get training and equipping so that you're not silenced in your lectures. They won't want to hear what you have to say sometimes. Even at school, and you've got to be smart and wise when to speak, when not to speak. But we have a message of life. Don't let anyone silence you. And friends, missionaries are often threatened. They face persecution, and we must pray and call out to God that God would lead them and empower them. In 2002, I and about eight other people from this church were on, the, on an island in Southeast Asia. We are on a mission trip. And just as we arrived at the mission trip, we discovered that our worker on the island was being threatened by some other people on the island. I remember that as we turned up, uh, the gates to his home were locked, bolted. We went inside, they opened up, and we went inside and we said, what's going on? He said there was a woman who was going to be baptised in the church, but her ex-husband didn't want her to be baptised. And I said, I know who you guys are, you're missionaries. I'm going to get the, tell the authorities about you guys and get you guys kicked out of here. The place was locked. We didn't know what was going to happen. He said, well, we've just gone on a mission trip to an island in Southeast Asia. I think it's going to be quite relaxed. You know, go and see some people and see where they work and encourage the worker. We're now locked up in a house, doors locked, anxious, nervous. What do we do? We pray, of course. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, this is your mission. This is your world. And we gathered and we prayed and we prayed. And that put us on a good footing for the rest of that mission. And I still remember at the end of that mission, or almost near the end of that mission, I was preaching at an Indonesian-speaking church with a translator. And the guy who didn't want his wife to be baptised, he turned up on his motorcycle had his helmet on. I'm preaching. There he is, standing at the back, watching carefully. And I'm watching the, pa the pastor's wife. Uh, she went out. The pastor was away. His wife went out and talked to him and got him away and got him to calm down. Preaching not knowing what they're going to throw at you. Prayer makes all that difference. The next week, terrorists bombed the city. By the grace of God, our workers were not there. We'd stayed out. They were planning to be in that city that night when the bomb went off and killed a couple of hundred people. Or a couple of hundred Australians, maybe. Forgetting the numbers. Bodies everywhere. Due to an incident in the beach just a little bit earlier, the team decided to stay in the outskirts, rather than going to the city. The plan was to be in the city that night. God, in his sovereign mercy, saved them by keeping them away from the, the point of explosion. We started on a little mission trip, confronted by opposition to the gospel, and later the team was confronted just simply by terrorists, had nothing to do with the gospel. Can I urge you this year to take the word praying 
empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring hope and life to the people that you come across. Praying that God would open up the heart to receive the gospel, to understand the gospel, that many would become his worshippers from Nawi and Riverwood and Lagano and Wattle Grove and Kingsgrove and wherever you come from, that many would be saved. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer that we can come to the God of the universe, the one who loves us deeply and sent Christ for us. You are God. There is no God like you. There's no one like you, full of mercy and compassion, who takes our sins, take it from the east as far as the west is, through the blood of Christ our Saviour. Help us, Lord, to take the word praying. Empower us by your spirit that we would be bold in our proclamation, that we would be wise in our proclamation, that we would speak with loving and salty words, that we would be the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.